several weeks ago, actually probably now months ago, uh, we began this sermon series that we're in called King Jesus. And this sermon series is divided into four chapters. So the first chapter of this series was entitled The King Rejected. And it began like this, said, in love, God created me not to be the center of my story. That's where we started. And we studied what does it mean to be an image bearer of God? God creates the world, then he creates humanity and he sends humanity into this world to rule over it as his image bearers, meaning we would live all of our lives representing God. We would live all of our lives for the glory of God. But there was a question that the enemy implanted into our head. And that question was, well, what if we didn't live our lives representing God? What if we lived our lives representing ourselves? What if I didn't live for somebody else, but I lived for me and I was only concerned about my own interest? And when humanity acted on that question, it's what we call sin, everything broke. We rejected God, our King. We were dismissed from his kingdom. And the world has been racked with anxiety and trauma and pain ever since. We made our way to chapter two of the series. We call this chapter the King Redeems and we learned that God by, by nature is a merciful God. That God, even though we have sinned against him we, and rejected him, he is eager to restore us back into his kingdom. And so what God does is he sends his son Jesus to do that work, to restore us back into his kingdom. And so what, what Jesus does is he becomes a human like one of us, he lives a life without sin, and then he gives his life to forgive us of our sin. He voluntarily goes to the cross, not because he sinned or deserved God's judgment, no, because God literally transferred our sin onto Jesus and then allowed Jesus to take the judgment that we deserve for our sin. And so Jesus took all that condemnation, all that shame and all that guilt, and he takes it into the grave with him for three days and he conquers it. He eliminates it, he exhausts it, and then he rises again from the dead. And so the, the good news of the gospel is that, is the fact that when we go before God the Father, and we might expect to be judged by him, we might expect God to, to take all of the ways that we've sinned against him and, and bring it before us and say, why would I welcome you into my kingdom? Look at all of these ways in which you rejected me. And the, the good news of the gospel is that if we trust in Jesus, that's not gonna happen because God has transferred our sin onto Jesus, taken care of it and transferred Jesus' righteousness onto us so we stand before him righteous. As if we live the life that Jesus lived. We don't deserve judgment, we deserve reward because of what Christ has done. 
We're worthy of God's kingdom now. Welcome into his kingdom, righteous. So, so for the Christian, this is your identity. This is who you are. You are a child of God, worthy of God's kingdom. Welcome into his kingdom. The king redeems. He's come back to restore us to his kingdom. Now, but I want you to understand something. There is a difference between your identity and your nature. Right, so think about this for a second. There is a difference between your identity and your nature. Your identity is who you are. Your nature is how you live out who you are. All right, so, so look here. Before you became a follower of Jesus, okay, your identity was you were a sinner, enemy of God, not welcomed in God's kingdom. You've been alienated from God. You bear the image of yourself and you've rejected the purpose of bearing the image of God. And while this was our identity, our nature was in lockstep with our identity. We had what we call a sinful nature, meaning we were actively living in unrepentant sin against God. Our nature and our identity were aligned. But when you trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, your identity changed instantaneously, 100%, perfectly, completely. You are now united to Jesus. You have Jesus' righteousness. You're welcome into God's kingdom. You're worthy of his kingdom. You're an image bearer of God. All of your sin has been dealt with. This is your identity forever. It will never change. It will never be taken away from you. But you know what did not completely change when you trusted Christ? Your nature. Now your nature changed, don't get me wrong. I mean, I preached a sermon several weeks ago about how when we come to Christ, God gives us a new heart with new desires. So your nature has changed, just not completely. And what that means is that God has given us his spirit and he's now initiated a process of change in us. A process of change to start living our lives according to who we really are, our new identity. He's putting a desire in us to live according to the new self and no longer according to the old self. But this process of change and growth for our nature to become aligned with our new identity, well, that's a lifelong process. And just because our identity and our nature are not always 100% aligned, it doesn't mean that we're any less saved, any less a child of God, any less loved by God. When you come to Christ, your identity is perfectly redeemed and your nature begins the process of being redeemed. See the difference? And so the Bible tells us that as followers of Christ, there's a war going on inside of us. It's the war between the new self and the old self. 
between the spirit and the flesh, as Paul will often call it. The old self wants to cut God out of every part of your life. Bear the image of yourself, live for yourself, shed off any authority that challenges what you wanna do. And the new self knows there is joy in submitting everything to the Lordship of Christ, bearing his image, living for his glory. And so here's what it means to grow in our walks with Christ, what it means for our nature to begin to live according to who we really are. It's when we give more and more of our lives over to the Lordship of Christ. And we say, Christ, you rule over every part of my life. I want my entire life to be centered on you. That's what it means to grow. And so today's theological statement for your notes, if you wanna write it in, it's this statement, it's this rally cry, it's this resolution, it's I will surrender all to King Jesus and make him the center of my story. I will surrender all to King Jesus and make him the center of my story, but the question that we have to answer this morning is how? How do I surrender all to King Jesus? What does it practically look like to pursue lasting change in my life and see my nature grow closer to my new self, to my new identity and away from my old self? So to do that, I want us to study two scriptures together, Ephesians 4 and Romans Uh, chapter 12, verses one and two. Let's read the passage from Ephesians four first. I'm gonna read verses 17 to 24. Look at what the apostle Paul says. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So insert for Gentiles the word, the nations or unbelievers in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That last phrase there was an identity statement. What is the new self? The new self is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Put that on. Romans 12, verses one and two, one more scripture. Paul says to the Roman church, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul is exhorting the Ephesian and the Roman churches here to actively do the work of putting off the old self, put on the new self. In other words, live your life according to who you are. Stop living your life according to who you used to be. He's talking about our nature. Let's grow our nature towards who we already are in Christ and stop living to who we used to be. But how, how, how do we do that? And so in these two texts, Paul speaks of three things. He speaks of our bodies, he speaks of our hearts, and he speaks of our minds. And when Paul talks about our bodies, I want you to think about our behavior. And when he talks about our hearts, I want you to think about our desires. And when he talks about our minds, I want you to think about our knowledge. And in order for us to put on the new self, take off the old self, to grow towards our true identity, we have to engage all three, our bodies, our hearts, and our minds. And so I wanna break those things down for you. Let's start with the body. It's the simplest of the three. In Romans 12:1, we are told to present our bodies as living sacrifices, something it feels like we're doing in this heat right now. In Ephesians 4, verse 19, it tells us we are told that the old self practices every kind of impurity. So when we think of our bodies, I want us to think about our behavior and our practices. And so putting on the new self means living our lives in a new way. So when there is something in our life that needs to change, what, we are, what are we going to do to posture our bodies to help affect that change? That's the question I want us to consider. Uh, Jesus puts it this way. Matthew chapter five, verses 29 and 30. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. And so in other words, what is something practical that I can do to deprive my body of temptation to sin, temptation to live according to the old self? Uh, maybe this is getting rid of your smartphone or internet connection. If you are tempted to go look at things you shouldn't look at, maybe this is cutting off social media or cutting off alcohol or not putting yourself in a situation where you would be tempted to gossip. How can we posture our bodies where we're not tempted to live according to the old self. On the flip side of that, what is something practical I can do to posture my body towards holiness? For example, uh, I meet with a group of men on, on Monday mornings and one of the things we're doing right now is we're holding each other accountable to daily midday prayer at 12.50 p.m. So at 12.50, my alarm goes off on my phone. I'll get text messages for all the guys and, and we're holding each other accountable to praying daily in the middle of our day. And many times that alarm goes off when I don't want to pray because I'm busy. My mind's engaged in something and I don't want to be distracted with having to talk to God. 
I don't want to pray in that moment. So what have I been doing? I've been training my body that when my alarm goes off at 12.50, I hit the ground straight to the knees. Because when I go to my knees, what am I doing? I'm posturing my body into a place of humility and submission to God. And what will quickly happen is my mind and my heart are going to follow. And I'll know that in that moment, the most productive thing that I can do is spend a few moments with my Father in heaven and get my day reoriented on the things he wants me to be focused on. I'm posturing myself to holiness. See, most of the time when there is an area in our life that we wanna change or grow in, this is the strategy we use right here. Trying to modify our behavior. We, We deprive our bodies of access to temptation. We try to build new habits. And this is good. Uh, growing in Christ takes effort on our part, and, and we should see it as a sacrifice to God, a, a worship to God when we do these things. But just trying to change our behavior is not enough to create change in us. That'd be like trying to cure cancer with pain medication. It's going to help the symptoms, maybe but it's not gonna get down to the root cause in our hearts of our sin, our desire to live according to the old self in the first place. And I think this is why we try and we struggle so much to, to change and we try new things and we fail so often is because we try to change our behavior, do these things, but, but that's it. And so what we need to do is simultaneously engage our hearts and our minds as we address our behavior. And so now that we've postured our bodies for holiness, we gotta start talking about the hearts. Paul says in Ephesians that the old self is characterized by a heart that is hard, callous. And he also says it's corrupted through deceitful desires. All right, so what does it mean to have a hard heart? Well, it means to be stubborn. Your heart is stuck in a certain place, unwilling and unable to change. And Paul tells us that what corrupts the heart in this way is our deceitful desires. Well, well, what is that? Oh, well, we studied deceitful desires in Genesis chapter three. Well, what caused the first sin? It was the desire of Adam and Eve to be independent from God. And oh, by the way, the enemy fed them this lie that, hey, independence from God will lead to life. It was a deceitful desire. A deceitful desire is a desire that we actually think will bring us life, but it's really going to bring us death. And these desires in our heart are the cancer that brings about sin and pushes us to live according to the old self. And so the obvious question is, how do you soften a hard heart? How do you loosen the grip of these deceitful desires on our heart? And the answer is simple, but it is so hard. And there's no way around it. The answer is exposure. John chapter three, verse 20 says, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light 
and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. Deceitful desires and hard hearts gain strength in darkness and isolation, and they lose their power when they are exposed to light. Early on in my marriage with Kim, we kept having the same conflict over and over again. And here's what was happening. I had this fear in me that Kim thought I was a fraud of a pastor, that I had false motives in doing ministry. I feared that. And Kim had this fear that I looked down on her and thought she was insignificant. And so what would happen is one of us would say something and it would poke this fear and then we would just respond and then the ping pong game would begin. I would say something that would belittle her, make her feel insignificant, and then she would respond that would say something that would make me feel like she thought I was a fraud. And we kept having this conflict until one night, by God's grace, we had this conversation that changed everything. I remember where we were sitting on the bed and both of us just confessed these fears that were in our hearts. We were ashamed that they, we were there, these deceitful desires that we had. We exposed what was inside our hearts, as ridiculous as it sounded, as humiliating as it was to confess these kinds of fears that were in there about one another. I mean, we both had these deceitful desires for the other person to think so highly of us that we would lash out when that was threatened. But the moment we exposed it to one another, our hearts softened. We now knew how we had hurt one another. We actually now knew how to love one another. We actually could see a pathway to change. See, our hearts stay hard and our deceitful desires control us when we keep them to ourselves, but our hearts soften. And these deceitful desires look foolish to us when they're exposed to trusted Christian community. And if your marriage is in a tough spot right now, if you're bitter, if you're angry, if you're hurt, if you just don't care anymore, you need to expose what is in your heart to a trusted Christian friend, pastor, or counselor. Because your heart is hardened by deceitful desires and the only way to soften it is to expose it. If you're struggling with addiction, if you're consumed with materialism and money, if you're tired of being single, if you're in the midst of a conflict with someone right now, if you just feel indifferent about your relationship with Christ, you need to sit with someone and let them dig into the desires, the beliefs, and the fears of your heart. And you need to verbalize the desires in your heart that you are most ashamed of and you don't wanna say out loud. The ones that feel the most childish and selfish and immature. When I was having that conversation with my wife, I felt immature and childish to confess to her. I think you think that I'm a fraud of a pastor and I fear that. I didn't like saying that, but you know what? It was true, I feared that. 
And it was exposing it that released its control over me. Because these desires, they're fueling our sin. They're, they're, they're pushing us towards the old self, hardening our hearts. It might be that what is hardening your heart and giving you these desires is trauma from your past. You may have been sinned against in profound ways or experienced some tragedy. And at many times, our hearts respond to this trauma with fear, isolation, anger, bitterness. All of that can fuel these desires. And you need to work through this with someone to find healing from your trauma. Begin to dissect how it might be hardening your heart. Guys, this is why being involved in close, deep Christian community is just not optional in the Christian life. It's just not. You cannot put off your old self and put on the new self alone. There's no context for that in scripture. Because when we're alone, we're no match for those deceitful desires. They lose their power when they're exposed. And then this leads to talking about our minds, our knowledge. We cannot do the work of posturing our bodies towards holiness and exposing the desires of our hearts without also doing the work of renewing our minds. Paul says in both Ephesians 4 and Romans 12 that our minds need to be renewed. In Ephesians 4, Paul says that the old self walks in the futility of its mind, its understanding is darkened, and that it is ignorant. In other words, the old self operates off of what is false, the new self operates off of what is true. And there are two fallacies that we constantly believe that need to be combated with truth in order for us to be motivated to posture our bodies for holiness and expose the desires of our hearts. The first fallacy is a belief that if we were fully known, if we were fully exposed, if people actually knew the kind of fears that were in my heart, oh, then no one would accept me. Everybody would look down on me. In other words, we forget who we are. We forget our true identity. We forget that God has already declared us completely and perfectly his child. God doesn't wait for our nature to be perfected before he accepts us and makes us a new creation. God doesn't wait for all that junk in our hearts to be cleaned out before he makes us his child. No, God saves us, gives us a new identity, then begins the process of change. And our minds need to be renewed with the truth of the gospel constantly so that we don't allow lies to deceive us into isolation. Because that's exactly what will happen when we forget the gospel. We'll think we're all alone. We're the only ones. When we forget the gospel and find our identity and who we used to be, we will always fight against exposing the heart. We'll always have a reason not to do that. 
but one who has had their mind renewed by the gospel. Constantly. They're reminded of who they are. They're constantly being fed the truth of their new identity. Well, that person has no ego to protect and no image to project. Project. But their security is in Christ. And there's no threat in exposing the deep desires of their heart. And the second fallacy is the belief that what the world has to offer us is better than what God has to offer us. Following Jesus and putting on the new self, man, that will mean sacrifice for this life. Posturing your body for holiness means discipline. Renewing your mind means daily feeding on God's word. Dealing with the desires in your heart means humble exposure. And there are times where it will seem that living according to the old self is just way easier. That there's probably more joy there, that that will be better for me, and that's a lie. And our minds need to be fed constantly with the truth that God's way is better. Every single minute of every day, your mind is being influenced. Most of the time, it is being influenced by a world that is constantly reinforcing your old self, constantly telling you that you are better off on your own, constantly telling you to shed off any authority that would challenge the desires of your heart, constantly pushing you to project a false image of yourself to the world. And every single day where we do not intentionally fill our minds with God's word, every time we neglect gathering with the church to be encouraged in God's word, every time we forget God's presence with us throughout the day, that's a day where our minds and our understanding is being darkened pushed to the old self. So how do we change? What does this look like? When we posture the body for holiness, we expose the desires of our heart, and we renew our minds with the beautiful truth in God's word that God has already secured our identity. And these three work together simultaneously. You won't be able to just modify your behavior without the other two. It does not work that way. Sometimes it's a quick process, sometimes it's a slow process, but God's word to us this morning does not tell us to prove who we are. It tells us to live out who we are. As many of you know, my wife and I have been involved with foster care and adoption. And one thing many adoptive children have to work through in their lives is this new life that they have in a new home and in a new family. There was once a family who lived here in the United States and were very well off. They had adopted a little girl from a third world country and they were making final preparations to bring her home. They had put together this room for her. She'd have her own room, all kinds of brand new toys, a brand new bed with pink linens on it, new clothes. They stocked their pantry and their fridge with all kinds of food they thought this little girl would like. When they picked her up, the only thing that she had that belonged to her were the old, dirty, ratty clothes on her back. It looked like they'd never been washed. 
This little girl had never used a toilet before. She had never had a day where she was well fed. She's never slept in a bed. And after a few days of this little girl in her new house with her new family and her new identity, things started to get tough. The family would find her sleeping on the floor in her room in her old clothes and not in her new PJs in her brand new bed. She would often relieve herself in the corner of her room instead of the restroom. And they kept catching her hiding food in her room. See, even though she had lived her whole life in utter poverty and without all of this luxury, this was what was most comfortable to her. It's all she knew. And it took time for her to begin to accept her new identity and begin living this new life and leaving behind the old life. There are many of us here who are redeemed children of God and God has prepared a place for us in his kingdom. We will be there. And yet, we're most comfortable wearing our old, ratty, dirty clothes. We're most comfortable living the life of the old self. The old self, maybe it doesn't bring us that much joy, but it's familiar. And I don't wanna have to face the fears of my heart when it comes to putting on the new. So Christian, you belong to God. You will be with him for eternity. And as we wait for that day, take off the old clothes, put on the new ones, and begin to live according to who you already perfectly, completely are. Stop wallowing in the old self. It's not who you are. Surrender all to King Jesus. Make him the center of your story, of every part of your life. What parts of your life are you withholding from him? Where in your life do you need to posture your body for holiness? Where do you need to expose the desires of your heart? Where do you need to begin to renew your mind with the truth of God's word? I wanna pray, but I wanna give you a few minutes to think about that. Just to walk, when you walk out of here, where does this apply to your life starting today? Let me give you a moment and then I'll pray. Father, everything inside of us tells us that this sermon is backwards. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense that you would redeem our identity without us first proving that we can change our own nature. 
but you're a God of grace and mercy. And God, I pray for everyone in this room that they would rest, literally find true rest in the truth that if they have trusted Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You have prepared a place for them in your kingdom and there is nothing nothing that will separate them from your love. You do not condition our new identity based off of our ability to live according to it. God, help us to rest in that. Oh, but God, I pray that that rest and I pray that that truth would invigorate us would motivate us to put on that new self and take off the old. To realize that there is everlasting joy when we put on the new self. When we discipline our bodies for holiness, when we begin to expose the fears of our hearts, when we renew our mind in your truth. God, help us to pursue change in our life according to who we really are. And I pray, Lord, that as we do that, we would experience a joy that is unlike anything we've ever felt because we would be living according to the very purpose that you created us for. So God, we praise you for saving us. And God, would you help us by your spirit to put on the new, to take off the old. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.